Welcome to the Rooted and Reaching podcast, a ministry of First Baptist Church in Charlottetown, PEI, Canada. At First Baptist Church, our vision is to be people deeply rooted in the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ, who then reach out into our neighborhood, city, and the world as we live and share the good news. Here is this week's Rooted and Reaching message from FBC Charlottetown. Retired a year ago in August in pastoral ministry. And since then, my wife Lori and I have been worshiping in this place, and we've been enjoying every minute of it. Beautiful people in this church, awesome music, wonderful preaching, not just from your lead pastor, but so many other gifted speakers in this church. It is an honor to stand here today and bring the message. And about three weeks ago, Pastor Dean approached me and asked me if I would preach a sermon today, and and, uh, he said because they had just finished a series uh, of sermons that I could choose my own topic, and uh, the decision for me was a very easy one because the gospel has always been a primary part of my preaching. And in fact, when I graduated from Acadia Divinity College, uh, the graduating students were given the opportunity to write a line of reflection upon their experience at Acadia, and beside my picture, I wrote these words, when I came to Acadia... I wasn't sure what God was calling me to do, but now that I have graduated, my soul echoes the words of the Apostle Paul who wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, Woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. So therefore, the subject of this morning's message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the scripture text that I have chosen for this message is Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. Now before I read the passage, I want to give some background to what's happening in this text. The Apostle Paul and Silas are in the city of Philippi, and they've been there a few days traveling throughout the city, preaching and teaching the gospel to whoever would listen. Now, I'm not going to say a whole lot about the city of Philippi because Pastor Dean covered that subject wonderfully a couple weeks ago when he was preaching about Lydia, who was believed to be the first convert in Philippi. But wherever Paul would preach, he always faced opposition. And in Philippi, there was no exception. The Bible says that they were going along preaching and teaching, and they were being heckled, especially by this woman who kept going behind them. And she wasn't just talking out loud. The Bible says she was screaming. She was yelling at them for a period of two days. And she was saying, these Men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She wasn't encouraging them. She wasn't promoting them. She was mocking them. Now, usually Paul could, under, could tolerate a, a heckler from time to time, but this was going on for two days. So he'd had enough, and he turned around, and he cast the spirit out that was possessing this woman. And the spirit came out of her, which was good news for the woman, because she was now released from the control of this spirit, but it was bad news to the people who had enslaved her. Because you see, the spirit that was in her gave her the ability to give people's fortunes. And in that period of time, and in that area of the world, people were very superstitious. And so the fortune-telling business was very lucrative. And so when the spirit was cast out of this woman, these men lost their business, and they became so upset that they, they started a riot in the city. And they dragged Paul and Silas before the magistrate, and... uh there's a great riot going on. Of course, the magistrate, not wanting any riot to develop in their city, did everything that they could to appease this crowd. And so they ordered Paul and Silas to be stripped and beaten senselessly by these rods till they could barely stand. And then they marched them 
to the prison and gave strict orders to the jailer to put them into the deepest, darkest, dingiest, stinkiest cell in the entire prison. And they brought them into the prison, put their feet in shackles, and there they sat, pondering their fate, wondering what had just happened. Now it is here that I take up the text of Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to, 20 to 34. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a, a violent earthquake, that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Then Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. When he said that, he didn't mean that just he and Silas were there. All the prisoners were still there. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he then brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all his family were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Now, the title of this message this morning comes from the question that the jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? Now, there are several words and terms in the Christian faith that are often used and sometimes not completely understood. And this morning, I want to focus our attention on one of those words, and that is the word saved. Now, the Greek word for saved is the word sozo. And sozo basically means deliverance from destruction. Now, what kind of destruction are we referring to? Well, the Greek word for destruction in the Bible is apolia, which means eternal suffering and separation from God in a place called hell. Now, Jesus provides some clarification about these two words, saved and destruction, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, which means eternal life in hell, and many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, eternal life in heaven, and only a few find it. Now what Jesus was saying in these verses is basically that all people, all people on earth are traveling on one of two roads, not three, not four, some people might want to make their own way, there's two roads and two roads only. And Jesus said that one road leads to life which refers to a personal relationship with God as our Heavenly Father and then culminating in eternity spent with Him in heaven. While the other road leads away from God, leading to destruction, referring to a separation from God and culminating in unbearable suffering in a place called hell. Now, I'm not here to scare you, but make no moans about it. I am here to get your attention, which is the reason why Jesus spoke these words in Matthew 7. So the word saved Meaning, so the Greek word sozo means deliverance from destruction. 
Therefore, to be saved means to be lifted off of the road heading toward destruction and placed upon the road heading toward eternal life. So in this, at the conclusion of this message, I'm going to provide an answer to the jailer's question, what must I do to be saved? But before I do that, I want to ask three important questions. And uh, I believe that these questions may be life-changing for someone here in this place or listening online and for your loved ones. Now, the first question I want to ask, are you saved? In other words, have you been lifted from the road heading toward destruction and placed upon the road heading toward eternal life? You see, all preachers are taught one thing, and that is, or we're taught many things, but one thing we are taught is to never make the assumption that everyone listening to your sermon is saved, and I'm not about to make that assumption here this morning. Now, there are four possible answers to that question, are you saved? Someone might say, well, no, I'm not saved. I didn't know I needed to be saved. No one asked me that question before. Or maybe I don't believe that I need to be saved. Or, or maybe you've heard that question, but uh, for some reason you've ignored it. The second possible answer to this question, are you saved? A person might say, well, yes, I'm saved. But according to the Bible, however, they're not. And the reason why I say this is because some people believe that, well, if you're a good person, if you're a kind person, if you are a compassionate person, then you must be saved. You must be on your way to heaven. And some people believe that, well, if they go to church and if they, they read their Bible, that, that, that must mean they're saved and going to heaven. Some may be, go as far as to say, well, if I'm baptized, well, that, that's my ticket to heaven. On one occasion, Lori overheard two women who were having a discussion, and one of the women was a mother who had lost her son tragically to a drug overdose. And her friend was trying to console her. And the friend asked her, well, was your son baptized? To which the mother responded, yes, he was baptized when he was a baby. To which the friend responded by saying, well, at least you know he's in heaven. Some people say they believe in God. Of course, the God that they believe in is not necessarily the God of the Bible, but they believe in God. Well, the Bible says the devil believes in God. Whereas all these things are, are important for a Christian to do, to be a kind and, and, and compassionate person, to go to church and study your Bible, and to get baptized, all of these things are important for a Christian to do, but none of them provide salvation. For the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. For this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works. And all these things I mentioned were works that no one can boast. Some people believe that they've grown up in a Christian home, that if their parents are saved, that must mean I'm saved. But some have misunderstood the verses in this text this morning. When the jailer asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? And Paul answered them, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And some people say, well, if the parents get saved, then the children must be saved. And that's not what this verse is saying. The verse is saying that if the, if the children of parents who have responded to the gospel, who have gotten saved, are given the same opportunity to respond to that same gospel for themselves, but they must make the response themselves, not their parents. The third possible answer to the question, are you saved, is to say, well, I think I'm saved, but I'm not sure. There are some Christians who are plagued by doubts regarding their salvation. Over the years of my ministry, I've asked several Christians, where will you spend eternity? And a number of Christians would kind of stumble with that answer, but come up with the words, well, I hope to go to heaven one day. 
I hope to go to heaven one day. Now, the word hope in this statement can imply an element of doubt. And what a horrible way to live, not knowing where you're going to spend eternity. You see, doubt often leads to fear, and fear robs us of our peace. It robs us of our joy, and God does not want any Christian to live in fear. In fact, one of the most commonly used commands in the Bible is fear not. The Apostle John, when he was talking about the gospel, wrote in 1 John 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope, no. Not wonder, no. Not surmise, no. God does not want any Christian to live in fear, especially regarding where they will spend eternity. And of course, the fourth answer to this question, are you saved, is the person to say, absolutely, I'm saved. I have no doubt whatsoever that my last breath on earth is going to be my first breath in heaven. Amen? This is a pretty weak amen. (laughs) So which of these four categories best fits you? No, I'm not saved. Or I believe I'm saved, but the Bible really clearly shows that I'm incorrect in my belief. Or I think I'm saved, but I'm not sure. Or yes, absolutely, I'm saved. Now in this morning's text, the Philippian jailer, he had no doubt that he wasn't saved and he needed to be saved and he wasn't going to let one day go by before he did something about it which led him to ask Paul this question, what must I do to be saved? Now, the second question I want to ask this morning is that if you are saved, is there someone in your life that you love dearly, someone who's an important part of your life? You can't imagine your life without this person, especially uh, you cannot imagine your eternity in heaven without this person. Is there someone in your life that for some reason you don't think they're saved? And, and, And... This oftentimes can be what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts to make us realize that there's somebody in our contact, somebody in our circle of of, of people who needs to hear the gospel. But is there someone in your life that you're not sure that they're saved? The moment that the Philippian jailer responded to the gospel and got saved, the first thing, the first thing that entered his mind was that, yes, he was saved, his eternity was secure, but his family were not. His family were still traveling on that road to destruction. And again, I ask the question, are there people in your life whom you have reason to believe they're not saved? And over the years, I've asked many congregation this question, and every single time I've asked the question, there's been an overwhelming response by people saying, yes, there is someone in my life. There is someone who means a lot to me, but I have my doubts in my heart that they're saved. Therefore, this morning, I have no reason to believe that there's not a whole bunch of people here and people online who have someone in mind. Probably that person's name has popped into your mind this morning as I've mentioned this. Now perhaps this loved one is one of your parents or one of your grandparents or maybe a sibling you grew up with. Or if you're married, maybe that person that you wonder about their salvation is your spouse. Or if you're a parent, possibly it's one of your children that you're not sure of their eternal destiny. I've had many deep conversations with parents who were troubled by the spiritual condition of their children. It could be a good friend, a neighbor, a colleague at work that may not be saved. The jailer in this morning's text wasn't just content to know that he was saved. He knew his family needed to be saved as well. He knew that somehow, somehow, he had to get the gospel to them. 
This leads me to the third question is, if you are saved and you do have somebody in your life that you don't think they are saved, the third question is, what are you doing about it? In this morning's text, the jailer realized that his family was not saved and he had to do something about it. Now, he didn't have a good enough understanding how to explain the gospel himself. He had just heard it. He just responded to it. Ah, but he did have two men in his custody who did have the ability to share the gospel. So the jitter proceeds to remove Paul and Silas from their cell, and he brings them and introduces them to his family so that they could explain the gospel to his family and they could get saved. You notice that some people might think, well, he was doing these acts of kindness to these men, Paul and Silas, because they were horribly treated. Whereas they did show, he did show acts of kindness to Paul and Silas by bathing their wounds and giving them a home-cooked meal. But this was not the primary reason why he was kind to these men. This morning's text says that as soon as Paul and Silas explained the gospel to the jailer, to the jailer he received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And then immediately, the Bible says, he brought the, jail, the jailer brought Paul and Silas to meet his family. And according to verse 32 of our text, the jailer and his family were taught the gospel, and the whole family believed and were baptized, and only then did he bathe their wounds and he gave them a meal. His priority to have these men to come to his family was so that they could share the gospel. So again, I asked the question, if you are saved and you have a loved one that you don't think they are saved, what are you doing about it? I've asked countless Christians over the years this question, and many of them, surprisingly, are not doing a whole lot. Some of the reasons they give are fear, fear of rejection. They don't want to spoil this relationship with their loved one. Or maybe it's complacency. I've got all kinds of time. I'll, I'll do it later. Or passing the buck. I hear that a lot. Well, sharing the gospel is not my job. It's the pastor's job. It's an evangelist's job. It's a youth group's leader's job. It's a Sunday school teacher's job, but not mine. And some are not doing very much about their unsaved loved one because maybe they have tried and, they, and the loved one has refused their attempts to share the gospel. And I want to give a strong word of encouragement to you this morning. If that's you, don't stop. Don't stop praying. Don't stop witnessing. Don't stop bringing the gospel to that person. I want to give you an example. Lori's grandfather was someone very dearly loved by our family, but he was not saved. And he'd come to church off and on, but he had no interest in the gospel whatsoever. And they prayed for him, and they witnessed to him, and they invited him to church. And especially if there's an evangelist in town, they invited him to come to hear the message. But he refused to respond to the gospel. For how long? 50 years, 50 years, a half a century. Then one Sunday morning, out of nowhere, he came to church for some, for some reason, and it wasn't an ordinary sermon that was preached. It wasn't an evangelistic sermon. The pastor had not given the invitation to come forward to receive Christ. He introduces the hymn, and it's not a, a come to Jesus hymn, but as the hymn is being introduced, Lori's grandfather stands up, walks to the end of the pew, and his wife grabs him by the arm and says, well, at least can you... Wait to the end of the service before you go home? And he said, I'm not going home. I'm going forward. And the pastor didn't know what to make of this. And he asked him, why did you come? And he said, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. 50 years. Imagine if they'd stopped after 49 years. 
Don't stop. You don't know what God is doing in the heart of your loved one. Don't stop praying. Don't stop loving. Don't stop witnessing. God isn't finished with your loved one. So I've shared with you the gospel, the message, and I want to close by saying how you can be saved. If, if those, at that first question, are you saved, if you answered, no, I'm not saved for whatever reason, or I thought I was saved, but you've shown me that I'm not, the Bible says I'm not, or if I'm not sure that I'm saved, if, if you are in one of those categories, I, I want to give you what you need to know to be saved. I'm going to give you the answer to the question the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? Now, there are very three things, three simple things to, to do if you want to get saved. They're so simple that the, even children can understand and respond to it. The jailer's children, not just his wife, his children responded to the gospel. And so it's easy for anyone to do. The first thing, if you want to get saved, is the word repent. Repent. When the apostle Peter was preaching the gospel, he said in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Now, to repent means that we acknowledge that we have disobeyed the commands of God. You see, we live in a civilized society where there are laws that we must follow. If you break one of those laws, that's crime, and that crime has a penalty. But when we break one of God's commandments, that's a sin, and there's a penalty for every sin that we commit. And that sin is what we talked about, that destruction on the end of that road. So once we acknowledge that we have sinned against God and deserve punishment, then we must confess our sins to God and ask for his forgiveness. And here's the great thing about the gospel. I don't care how bad your sins might be. I don't care how many sins are in your life. I don't care how long you have sinned. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, not only does God promise to forgive us our sins, he removes our sins from us. And as far as the east is from the west, you can't measure that distance. When God forgives our sins, he removes them from us, and he also removes the guilt and the shame that sin often brings. And the, third, the second thing to do to be saved is, first the thing is repent, second is believe. When the jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? They responded by saying, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Now, what does it mean to believe in the Lord Jesus? Well, simply put, it means that we believe everything that Jesus claimed to be. He claimed to be the eternal, sinless Son of Almighty God. In fact, he claimed to be God himself. He, we had the, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus claimed to be equal with God. And to believe the Lord Jesus also means that Jesus came down to earth. He died on the cross, not as a martyr, but as the Savior of the world. And what I mean by this is, when Jesus died on the cross, God placed all the sin, all the wrath, all the punishment, all the judgment that you and I deserve, placed it upon Him. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, we believe that He paid our sin debt in full. There's nothing we can possibly do on our own that could ever begin to pay our sin debt. Being a good and kind person could never be enough to pay our sin debt. Going to church and reading your Bible could never be enough to pay our sin debt. Getting baptized could never be enough to pay our sin debt in full. Only the shed blood of Jesus Christ can pay 
our sin debt. So there's repent and believe. And finally, we need to make a commitment. Commitment to become the person God wants us to be. So when a person becomes a Christian, you can't change your past. God understands that. And also to become a Christian, become a person that God wants us to be, that's not going to happen overnight, immediately. That'll take time. And it's not going to be an easy thing. God understands that, which is the reason why he's promised to put his spirit inside of every person who accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that Holy Spirit is the same spirit that gave Paul the power to do great things, that gave Jesus the power to do great things, that, gave, that allowed Jesus to be raised from the dead. That same spirit God said, I'll put in you and give you all the help and all the strength that you need to become the person that I want you to be. So there you have it, the answer to what must I do to be saved. Repent, which means confess your sins to God and ask for his forgiveness. Believe that only the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is sufficient to pay our sin debt, and then make a personal commitment to become the person he wants you to be. So by responding to the gospel message, you will be saved. You can be saved today. But if I were you, I wouldn't wait another day. We don't have any guarantee of tomorrow. By doing what it takes to understand how to communicate the gospel, you'll be better equipped to be able to share the gospel with that loved one that God's laid on your heart. But you know what? I've shared the gospel with you. I've explained it for you. But one thing I can't do, I can't respond. That's up to you. So whatever you do with this message, my prayer is that you'll take it to heart and act upon it. You've been listening to the Rooted and Reaching Podcast, a weekly ministry of First Baptist Church in Charlottetown, PEI, Canada. Our theme music is inspired by Ben Sound. For more information or to support the ministries of FBC Charlottetown, please visit our website, myfbc.ca, today. If you found the content of today's podcast encouraging, please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast and drop us a comment. In addition, consider sharing today's Rooted and Reaching podcast with at least one other person this week who might be blessed through it or become better biblically rooted through it. Until next time, thank you for listening.